section seventy four of expository thoughts on the gospel of st luke volume two by j c ryle luke chapter twenty four verses thirteen to thirty five the walk to emmaus this librivox recording is in the public domain read by marianne luke chapter twenty four verses thirteen to thirty five and behold two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass, that, while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near, and went with them. But their eyes were holden, that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these, that ye have one to another, as ye walk, and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and have crucified him, but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel, and beside all this, to-day is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre, and found it even as the women had said. But him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things, and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread, and blessed it, and brake, and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us? while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose up the same hour, and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them, in breaking of bread. The history contained in these verses is not found in any other gospel but that of St. Luke. Of all the eleven appearances of Christ after his resurrection, none perhaps is so interesting as the one described in this passage. Let us mark, in these verses, what encouragement there is to believers to speak to one another about Christ. We are told of two disciples walking together to Emmaus, and talking of their master's crucifixion. And then came the remarkable words, while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Conference on spiritual subjects is a most important means of grace. As iron sharpeneth iron, 
so does exchange of thoughts with brethren sharpen a believer's soul it brings down a special blessing on all who make a practice of it the striking words of malachi were meant for the church in every age then they that feared the lord spake often one to another and the lord hearkened and heard it and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the lord and that thought upon his name and they shall be mine saith the lord in that day when i will make up my jewels malachi chapter three verses sixteen and seventeen what do we know ourselves of spiritual conversation with other christians perhaps we read our bibles and pray in private and use public means of grace it is all well very well but if we stop short here we neglect a great privilege and have yet much to learn we ought to consider one another to provoke to love and good works we ought to exhort and edify one another hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 first thessalonians chapter 5 verse 11 have we no time for spiritual conversation let us think again the quantity of time wasted on frivolous trifling and unprofitable talk is fearfully great do we find nothing to say on spiritual subjects do we feel tongue-tied and dumb on the things of christ surely if this is the case there must be something wrong within a heart right in the sight of god will generally find words out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh matthew chapter seven verse thirty four let us learn a lesson from the true travellers to emmaus let us speak of jesus when we are sitting in our houses and when we are walking by the way whenever we can find a disciple to speak to deuteronomy chapter six verse seven if we believe we are journeying to a heaven where christ will be the central object of every mind let us begin to learn the manners of heaven while we are yet upon earth so doing we shall often have one with us whom our eyes will not see but one who will make our hearts burn within us by blessing the conversation let us mark secondly in these verses how weak and imperfect was the knowledge of some of our lord's disciples we are told that the two disciples confessed frankly that their expectations had been disappointed by the crucifixion of christ we trusted said they that it had been he who should have redeemed israel a temporal redemption of the jews by a conqueror appears to have been the redemption which they looked for a spiritual redemption by a sacrificial death was an idea which their minds could not thoroughly take in ignorance like this at first sight is truly astounding we cannot be surprised at the sharp rebuke which fell from our lord's lips o oh, fools and slow of heart to believe yet ignorance like this is deeply instructive it shows us how little cause we have to wonder at the spiritual darkness which obscures the minds of careless christians myriads around us are just as ignorant of the meaning of christ's sufferings as these travellers to emmaus as long as the world stands the cross will seem foolishness to natural man let us bless god that there may be true grace hidden under much intellectual ignorance clear and accurate knowledge is a most useful thing but it is not absolutely needful to salvation and may even be possessed without grace a deep sense of sin a humble willingness to be saved in god's way a teachable readiness to give up our own prejudices when a more excellent way is shown these are the principal things these things the two disciples possessed and therefore our lord went with them and guided them into all truth let us mark thirdly in these verses how full the old testament is of christ we are told that our lord began at moses 
and all the prophets and expounded in all the scriptures the things concerning himself how shall we explain these words in what way did our lord show things concerning himself in every part of the old testament field the answer to these questions is short and simple christ was the substance of every old testament sacrifice ordained in the law of moses christ was the true deliverer and king of whom all the judges and deliverers in jewish history were types christ was the coming prophet greater than moses whose glorious advent filled the pages of the prophets christ was the true seed of the woman who was to bruise the serpent's head the true seed in whom all nations were to be blessed the true shiloh to whom all people were to be gathered the true scapegoat the true brazen serpent the true lamb to which every daily offering pointed the true high priest of whom every descendant of aaron was a figure these things or some things like them we need not doubt were some of the things which our lord expounded on the way to emmaus let it be a settled principle in our minds in reading the bible that christ is the central sun of the whole book as long as we keep him in view we shall never greatly err in our search for spiritual knowledge once losing sight of christ we shall find the whole bible dark and full of difficulty the key of bible knowledge is jesus christ let us mark finally in these verses how much christ loves to be entreated by his people we are told that when the disciples drew nigh to emmaus our lord made as though he would have gone further he desired to see if they were weary of his conversation but it was not so they constrained him saying abide with us for it is toward evening and the day is far spent and he went in to tarry with them cases like this are not uncommon in scripture our lord sees it good for us to prove our love by withholding mercies till we ask for them he does not always force his gifts upon us unsought and unsolicited he loves to draw out our desires and to compel us to exercise our spiritual affections by waiting for our prayers he dealt so with jacob at peniel let me go he said for the day breaketh and then came the noble declaration from jacob's lips i will not let thee go except thou bless me genesis chapter thirty two verse twenty six the story of the canaanitish mother the story of the healing of the two blind men at jericho the story of the nobleman at capernaum the parables of the unjust judge and friend at midnight are all meant to teach the same lesson all show that our lord loves to be entreated and likes importunity let us act on this principle in all our prayers if we know anything of praying let us ask much and ask often and lose nothing for want of asking let us not be like the jewish king who smote three times on the ground and then stayed his hand second kings chapter thirteen verse eighteen let us rather remember the words of david's psalm open thy mouth wide and i will fill it psalm eighty one verse ten it is the man who puts a holy constraint on christ in prayer who enjoys much of christ's manifested presence notes luke chapter twenty four verses thirteen to thirty five verse thirteen two of them we are not told who these two disciples were except that one of them was named cleopas several conjectures have been made about the other one epiphanius supposes he was nathaniel origen calls him simeon ambrose calls him emmaon theophylact suggests that it was luke himself all this is guesswork 
we know nothing certain about it excepting this that it could not have been one of the apostles we are distinctly told that when these two disciples returned to jerusalem they found the eleven gathered together this point ought to be carefully noticed lightfoot says it seems to me beyond question that one of the disciples going to emmaus was peter who hearing from the women that the lord had risen and sent him a message and spoken of going to galilee took cleopas and made off towards galilee this opinion seems very improbable went that same day henry says on this expression i suspect that they were going homeward to galilee with an intention not to inquire more about this jesus that they were meditating a retreat and went away from their company without asking or taking leave this is no doubt an ingenious conjecture but i see nothing to warrant it verse sixteen should not know him let it be noted here that st mark mentions that he appeared in another form mark chapter sixteen verse twelve this circumstance would account for their not recognizing him at the same time it is clear that in some miraculous way the eyes of the disciples were holden or restrained from seeing aright see second kings chapter six verses seventeen to twenty verse seventeen he said bengal remarks here that it is the part of wisdom to pass with ease into profitable conversation what manner communications ye have the literal rendering of the greek words here would be what sayings or words are these which ye cast against one another or bandy about the parallel between joseph and our lord jesus christ ought to be noticed at this part of our lord's history the conduct of joseph in not discovering himself to his brethren and in trying them by delay was a type of our lord's dealings with his two disciples before manifesting himself to them the whole history of joseph is probably much more typical than we suppose verse eighteen art thou only a stranger etc the greek words so rendered are somewhat peculiar alfred translates them dost thou lodge alone at jerusalem major renders them art thou that one individual who sojourneth at jerusalem and hath not known etc meaning there surely cannot be another whether stranger or resident who has not heard of these events the whole verse is an important evidence of the publicity and notoriety of our lord jesus christ's crucifixion verse nineteen what things our lord both here and at a latter part of his history draws out from the disciples their opinions feelings and wishes by asking a question he elicits a declaration of the exact state of their minds about himself a prophet etc the exceeding dimness of the disciples apprehension of our lord's divinity and atonement is strikingly brought out in this description before god and the people this must mean by the testimony both of god and the jewish nation we read elsewhere that god bear him witness by signs and wonders acts chapter two verse twenty two the people also bear record john chapter twelve verse seventeen verse twenty one he which should have redeemed israel the exact kind of redemption expected by the disciples we are left to conjecture but it is clear that like most jews they looked much more for a temporal redeemer than a spiritual one they looked for a redemption like that of their forefathers out of egypt hence their excessive perplexity and amazement when he who they thought would prove the redeemer was crucified 
Today is the third day. There certainly seems a reference in the mind of Cleopas to something which was to happen on the third day according to promise. He speaks like one who had an indistinct recollection of our Lord's sayings about rising again upon the third day, but had never understood their meaning. Lightfoot remarks on this verse, What notice the rabbis take of the third day, and conjectures that the Jewish idea about the third day may be traced in the sayings of Cleopas as well as a reference to our Lord's predictions. He points out the frequency with which the third day is referred to in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 22 verse 4, Hosea chapter 6 verse 2, Genesis chapter 42 verse 18, Joshua chapter 2 verse 16, Exodus chapter 19 verse 16, Jonah chapter 1 verse 17, Ezra chapter 8 verse 15, Esther chapter 5 verse 1. Verse 24. Certain of them, etc. St. Luke has only told us of Peter having gone to the grave. From St. John we learn that John accompanied him. Verse 25. Fools. The Greek word so rendered is not the same word which is so translated in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 verse 22. Here it only means wanting in thought, understanding, and consideration, and does not imply any contempt. Slow of heart to believe all prophets spoken. This expression should be carefully noted. The disciples believed many things which the prophets had spoken, but they did not believe all. They believed the predictions of Messiah's glory, but not of Messiah's sufferings. Christians in modern times too often err in like manner, though in a totally different direction. They believe all that the prophets say about Christ's sufferings, but not all they say about Christ coming the second time in glory. Verse 26. Ought not. This means, was it not fitting, meet, and needful? Did it not behoove, in order to the fulfillment of prophecies and types, that Christ should suffer? It is the same Greek word translated behooved at the 46th verse. Suffer, enter, glory. Here our Lord briefly states the whole truth concerning the expected Messiah. He was one who was to suffer first, and afterwards to reign, to be cut off first, and afterwards have a kingdom, to be led as a lamb to the slaughter first, and afterwards to divide the spoil as a conqueror. Verse 27. Beginning at Moses, etc. Many a commentator has remarked on this verse, that it would have been a blessing to the church if it had possessed the exposition which our Lord here gave. For wise reasons it has been withheld from us. Several have attempted to supply conjecturally the general substance of this exposition, and specially Gerhard, Bullinger, and Stella. But it is probable that we have, at best, very inadequate ideas of the fullness of our Lord's exposition. Judging from the use he made of Scripture during his ministry, he saw probably many things concerning himself, which modern commentators utterly fail to discover. Alfred remarks, Observe the testimony which this verse gives to the divine authority and Christian interpretation of the Old Testament scriptures. The denial of reference to Christ's death and glory in the Old Testament is a denial of Christ's own teaching. Verse 28. He made as though, gone further. Many very unprofitable remarks have been made on this expression. Some have gone so far as to assert that it justifies dissimulation and a certain degree of untruthfulness on some occasions. 
such assertions are too monstrous and absurd to deserve serious refutation alfred remarks it is not implied that our lord said anything to indicate that he would go further but simply that he was passing on he quotes also a passage from jeremy taylor's sermon on christian simplicity explanatory of this expression our blessed saviour pretended that he would pass forth from emmaus but if he intended not to do it he did no injury to the two disciples for whose good he intended to make this offer neither did he prevaricate the strictness of simplicity and sincerity because they were persons with whom he had made no contracts to whom he had passed no obligations in the nature of the thing it is proper and natural by an offer to give an occasion to another to do good actions and in case it succeeds not than to do what was intended not and so the offer was conditional i have quoted this passage from a desire to meet the possible objections of scrupulous consciences to my own mind it seems surprising that any one can stumble at the expression before us or can find ground for supposing that our lord meant to deceive our lord used the readiest and most natural means to draw out the feelings of his disciples by walking on as if he intended to go further but it seems to me as unreasonable to see in this an intention to deceive as it would be to see dishonesty in his first question what manner of communications are these that ye have he knew all things and had no real occasion to ask but he asked in order to draw out the minds of his disciples verse twenty nine they constrained him let it be noted that we have several instances of expressions like this in scripture used upon similar occasions abraham said pass not away i pray thee from thy servant genesis chapter thirty two verse twenty six gideon said depart not hence i pray thee until i come unto thee judges chapter six verse eighteen manoah and his wife said i pray thee let us detain thee judges chapter thirteen verse fifteen all show that God loves to be entreated of his people, and that those who would have much must ask much, and even use a holy violence. Verse 30. He took bread, blessed, brake, gave, etc. The action mentioned here has occasioned much difference of opinion. 1. Some think that no particular sense is to be attached to the expression, and that it means that Jesus was recognized at the time when he brake bread. 2. Some think that there was something peculiar in our Lord's manner and demeanor at the breaking of bread, which was well known to the disciples. Lyranus and Stella even go so far as to say that he broke bread in a miraculous manner, like one cutting with a knife. According to Schottgen, Jewish teachers used to be known and recognized by their disciples by their particular gestures. 3. Some think the whole passage refers to the Lord's Supper, this opinion is stoutly defended by Maldonatus and Cornelius Alipidi, the Romish commentators, and maintained even by Wordsworth among English Protestants. The two Romish writers go so far as to maintain that the passage shows the propriety of the bread only, and not the cup being given to the laity in the Lord's Supper. It is only fair to say that not all Romish writers maintain this opinion respecting the Lord's Supper being meant. Jacenius and Stella deny it entirely. Veradius and Bellarmine allow that it is just as probable that the Lord's Supper is not meant as that it is meant. I have little doubt that the expression refers to some well-known and peculiar gesture of our Lord in the act of breaking bread, with which all his disciples were familiar. 
I think it even possible that there is a reference to our Lord's demeanor at the miracle of feeding the multitude with a few loaves and fishes. Alfred suggests that the marks of the nails in our Lord's hands may have been first noticed as he was breaking bread. That it could not be the Lord's Supper appears clear to my own mind for the following reasons. Firstly, it was impossible that the two disciples could recognize anything in our Lord's manner of breaking bread to remind them of the Lord's Supper, because they were not present at the institution of it. None but the apostles were present at the institution, and the two disciples were evidently not apostles. Secondly, it is mere gratuitous assumption to say that the Lord's Supper is meant when we find no words of consecration used, and no mention of wine. Even the Roman Catholics must allow that without consecration and the presence of wine there is no sacrament. They will hardly dare to say that the two disciples at Emmaus were laymen. Thirdly, the words of our Lord at the time of the first institution of the Lord's Supper, that he would no more drink the fruit of the vine with his disciples, make it highly improbable that the sacrament can here be referred to. The quotations of the fathers given by the Romish writers in defense of this opinion about the Lord's Supper are most meager and unsatisfactory. At best they only prove, as Jansenius remarks, that some of the fathers thought the transaction at Emmaus figurative of the Lord's Supper. The plain truth is, that both here and elsewhere the carnal mind of man catches at the least pretext for making everything in religion material and sensual, and strains every possible expression into a material sense. All texts about eating and drinking, and a cup and bread, must needs signify the Lord's Supper. All texts about washing and water and purifying and the like must needs mean baptism. Against such interpretations of Scripture we must always be on our guard. Lightfoot remarks, It is strange that any should interpret this breaking of bread of the Holy Eucharist, when Christ himself had determined to disappear in the very distribution of the bread, and so interrupt the supper. And where, indeed, doth it appear that any of them tasted a bit? The supper was ended before it began. The rabbins say, If three eat together, they are bound to say grace. Verse 31. Their eyes, opened, knew him. The manner of this sudden revelation of Christ we cannot explain. The whole transaction is so miraculous that we can only take the words as we find them and must not waste time in attempting to define what is beyond our comprehension. Vanished out of their sight This and other expressions concerning our Lord's risen body show plainly that it was a body in some wonderful way different from the common body of man. It was a real material body, and true flesh and blood, but it was a body capable of moving, appearing, and disappearing after a manner that we cannot explain. We may fairly suppose that it was a pattern of what our own bodies will be after they are raised again. They will be true bodies, material and real, but bodies endued with capacities of which we now know nothing. Verse 32. Did not our hearts burn? These words would be more literally rendered, Was not our heart burning within us? It is a strong expression to indicate the warmth and delight of their feelings while they listened to our Lord's exposition of Scripture. See Psalm 39, verse 4, Jeremiah, chapter 20, verse 9. Verse 33. Found the eleven gathered together. This expression deserves notice. Was Thomas with them, or not? If he was, he must have gone out immediately after the two disciples came in, otherwise it would be difficult to reconcile the verses which immediately follow, describing our Lord's appearing, with the account given in St. John, 
of Christ's appearing when Thomas was not present. How can we explain St. Luke speaking of the eleven? Doddridge must supply the answer. As Paul calls the company of apostles the twelve, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5, though Judas the twelfth person was dead, so Luke here calls them the eleven, though Thomas the eleventh person was absent, as appears from John chapter 20, verse 24. Let us add to this that St. Mark distinctly tells us also that the Lord appeared to the eleven as they sat at meat. Mark chapter 16, verse 14. Verse 34. Saying, The Lord is risen indeed. Major remarks here, Those words which Luke attributes to the eleven apostles were not altogether consistent with what we read in Mark, Mark chapter 16, verse 12, that when the two disciples returning acquainted the rest, they did not believe them. Campbell thus solves the difficulty. This does not imply that none of them believed, but that several, perhaps the greater part, did not believe. When Luke tells us that they said, The Lord is risen indeed, we are not to conclude that every one said this, or even believed it, but only that some believed, and that one of them expressly affirmed it. Such latitude in using pronouns is common in every language. So, according to Matthew and Mark, both malefactors reproached Jesus on the cross. But from Luke we learn that it was only one of them who acted thus. Appeared to Simon The appearance to Simon Peter alone is only mentioned in this place and in the epistle of the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 2. The circumstances of the appearance we do not know. It may be well to mention here the eleven distinct appearances of our Lord after his resurrection. He appeared, 1, to Mary Magdalene alone, Mark chapter 16, John chapter 20, verse 14. 2. To the women returning from the sepulchre, Matthew chapter 28, verses 9 and 10. 3. To Simon Peter alone, Luke chapter 24, verse 34. 4. To the two disciples going to Emmaus, Luke chapter 24, verse 13, etc. 5. To the apostles at Jerusalem, excepting Thomas who was absent, John chapter 20, verse 19. 6. To the apostles at Jerusalem a second time when Thomas was present, John chapter 20, verses 26 and 29. 7. At the Sea of Tiberias, when seven disciples were fishing, John chapter 21, verse 1. 8. To the eleven disciples on a mountain in Galilee, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. 9. To above five hundred brethren at once, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6. 10. To James only, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7. 11. To all the apostles on Mount Olivet at his ascension, Luke chapter 24, verse 51. Three times we are told that his disciples touched him after he rose. Matthew chapter 28, verse 9, Luke chapter 24, verse 39, John chapter 20, verse 27. Twice we are told that he ate with them, Luke chapter 24, verse 42, John chapter 21, verses 12 and 13. Verse 35. Things done in the way. This must necessarily mean the wonderful exposition of Scripture, which had made their hearts burn. Known of them in breaking of bread. It is only necessary to remark here that to apply this expression to the Lord's Supper is mere accommodation of scriptural words, and not justified by the context. 
End of section 74.